Uh, good morning. Today is Wednesday, July 19th, 2023. This is a regular meeting of the Building Inspection Commission. Uh, I'd like to remind everyone to please mute yourself if you're not speaking. And the first item on the agenda is roll call. Uh, Commissioner Alexander Toop. Present. Commissioner Chavez. Present. Commissioner Newman. Here. Commissioner Shaddix. Here. Commissioner Summer. <clears throat> She's in attendance virtually. Uh, Commissioner Williams. Here. Uh, is your mic on? Here. Just one moment. Uh, next on the agenda is item two, discussion and possible action to elect an interim president of the Building Inspection Commission. Um, so we'll, we'll take nominations. I'm, I'm not sure how you, um, if you know how to, uh, how would you like to handle that? Who should do nominations first? Uh, yeah. There's, oh. Do you have the rules in front of you? Um, Sorry, Deputy City Attorney Rob Kafla. I reviewed them recently, but th this is a situation that with a brand new BIC where we do not have a normal situation. It's not the first meeting in February of a year. So the bylaws allow for BIC to select an interim president to um, preside over this meeting and presumably the next until we can have an officer election for president and vice president on the agenda. Go ahead. So it's my understanding that we should still follow the process of the regular election, which is first to allow for public comment. The second is to request nominations. I have a question about how we do that. Is it alphabetical by commissioner or is it by raising our hand and not making nominations? And then after all nominations are offered, the presiding officer, who I think we should determine, um, shall close the nomination and the commission votes in the nominations in the order they were received. The first candidate to receive a majority of the votes is elected in the office. So the process seems to be public comment, nominations, voting in order until someone receives a majority. Um, but there's two things that I'd like um, your uh, guidance on, city attorney, um, deputy city attorney, which is uh, who should be the presiding officer and second is um, are we doing nominations by alphabetical order by a commissioner or by raising our hands? Deputy City Attorney Rob Kapla, I believe the commission secretary should preside until we have an interim president, and that would be to first, um, if you have the option with your kiosks, to raise your hand if you have uh, uh, would like to nominate someone, and we'll take nominations until there is no uh, are no other nominations and then we'll vote on the nominations in the order in which they were received so i would uh, leave this to commission secretary to see if there are any uh, nominations from commissioners so please i think raise your hands if you can okay <laughs> if yeah. you have a nomination just bear with me because i have this is my first time using this screen so if you raise your hand um and i see angie and I'm not sure. Did you all request to speak before? I, I did. Um, and it looks like Commissioner Shaddix did as well. Okay, so I'll 
I'm not sure how that works. Public comment first. Okay, is there any public comment in-house or virtually on item two? Yes. Okay. Is there any other public comment? Any virtual? There's no other public comment. Um, okay, let me go back. Sorry. How does this work? Commissioner Alexander Toot. Um, I would like to name, nominate myself, Commissioner Chavez, and Commissioner Williams. Any order. Can you repeat that? Nominate myself, Commissioner Chavez, Commissioner Williams in that order. Commissioner Newman. Uh, I would like to suggest that we um, table this for this meeting and instead uh, just have a presiding officer for the meeting. Um, I think that should be uh, Commissioner Toot as she is the longest sitting commissioner um, on the commission. Uh, WC Attorney Rob Cal, that would be what the interim president would be, would okay. be the presiding officer essentially for until we can calendar a, a permanent officer election. Okay. That was all. Um, Commissioner Sat uh, Shaddix. I would like to second Commissioner to, um for interim president. And Commissioner Summer. Can you guys hear me? Yes. I was also going to nominate Commissioner Tutu. Okay, so I'll do a roll call vote on the nomination for Commissioner Alexander Toot, uh, beginning with uh, Commissioner Alexander Toot. Yes yeah. or no? <laughs> yes. And Commissioner Chavez? Yes. Or aye. Commissioner Newman? Yes. Commissioner Shaddix? Yes. Uh, Commissioner Summer? Yes. Commissioner Williams. Yes. Uh, all in, that's a, the motion carries unanimously. So do we, we don't need to do the others. Okay, so the nomination, the motion is for Commissioner Alexander Toot as the interim president of, of the Building Inspection Commission. Yay.
And so we're moving on to uh, agenda item three, general public comment. The BIC will take public comment on matters within the commission's jurisdiction that are not part of this agenda. Is there any in-house public comment? Is there any virtual? I'm seeing none. Uh, moving on to item four, director's report, 4A, director's update. Um, can you can you check your mic, Director? Sorry. Pardon me. Um, uh, I'd like to congratulate Interim President Toot on um, her election, and uh, I appreciate your willingness to serve and look forward to partnering with you. Um, and welcome to our newest commissioners, uh, Evita Chavez and uh, Kevin Williams. Um, I enjoyed the opportunity to get to know you yesterday when you toured DBI and the Permit Center. I really appreciated your thoughtful questions and interest in our work and what we're trying to accomplish. I look forward to working with you in the months and years ahead. Um, first, I'd like uh, to take a moment to congratulate our fabulous Commission Secretaries, uh, Sonia Harris and uh, Monique Mustafa, for being recognized for their efforts to promote well-being at DBI. They hosted a kickoff event uh, uh, for a recent fitness challenge that was featured in a citywide spotlight and that highlights programs that support employees' well-being. Good job, Sonia and Monique, uh, and thanks for promoting well-being uh, at the workplace. Um, now on to permitting. We have a busy agenda today, but I want to highlight one item in particular. Agenda item seven, a presentation about our permitting times and the progress we're making in reducing our review times. When I started in this role three years ago, we immediately set about changing the way we conducted our business. Uh, our first effort was to prioritize our reform initiatives to improve transparency and to ensure that we were holding ourselves to the highest ethical standards in every situation. Uh, these reform initiatives were subsequently formalized by the city controller, and we have made tremendous strides uh, implementing those reforms, overseen by our compliance uh, manager, Chris Vergara, who's here with us today. Um, his position was created last year to ensure that our department maintains the highest ethical standards. We Next, I laid out clear service improvement goals, including a greater emphasis on serving our customers and using data to measure the work we do. We established new metrics, instituted new rig rigor uh, in our data analysis, and began identifying the key areas where we could improve our operations. Um, Megan Walshui, who's also here with us today, our principal data analyst, leads that effort and has done an incredible job of creating dashboards and other data tools to help us make data-driven improvements. Then we hired a new deputy director, Neville Pereira, uh, who's uh, actually here with us uh, virtually today. Um, he leads our permit services team, 
and he laid out a plan to improve our processes and has began and begun to implement that plan. And while some of our improvements bore fruit immediately, progress on several of our most critical efforts was less clear for a number of reasons. Those reasons include the backlog caused by COVID, the seasonal nature of our work, and I, I would say the most, uh, most of all is because of lagging indicators in permit issuance da data. In other words, uh, it takes a while really to know uh, how well we're doing. That said, that said, I'm proud to say our plan is working and we're making gains on multiple fronts. I'm looking forward to sharing what we've accomplished so far and want to acknowledge um, that we are not yet meeting uh, some of our goals. We are still at the beginning of this journey and have a long way to travel. But there's no question that we're on the right track. And I want to take this moment to thank our staff uh, for all their work and willingness to embrace change over the past few years. Um, as you will later see this morning, we're off to a great start. Uh, that concludes my director's report. Um, thank you. Two things. I forgot to have the land acknowledgement read. And also for listening, a public comment call-in number is 1415-655-0001, access code 2662091. 2279 to raise your hand for public comment on a specific agenda item. Press star three when prompted by the meeting moderator. Thank you. The land acknowledgement, please. Thank you. The Building Inspection Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatushaloni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatushaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Thank you. We'll move on to item 4B, update on major projects. Uh, is there a presenter for 4B? Yes, uh, can we get the slides? Oh, sorry. Yeah. They're coming. Can I make a request as we're kind of going through these reports, just because we have a lot of new commissioners, is just like a sentence or two of like why we report on this would be helpful, kind of like sure. how to, how, what, what the lens we should look at this through? Sure. Thank you. Sure. Um, uh, and to your point, uh, uh, interim president to, uh, and for the new commissioners, the purpose of this report is to um, show how we're doing in relation to major projects and with regard to uh, ish, uh, filing of permits, the permits that are filed, the notable permits that are filed, I should say, and the notable permits that are issued and uh, what has been completed, signed off, and uh, granted occupancy in the previous month. So these projects are projects that are 
greater than $5 million in valuation. And uh, we look at this every month in relation to what, you know, we issue, was filed, issued, and uh, signed off the previous month. So um, if we can have the next slide, Monique, please. Okay, so in June of 2023, one permit with an estimated construction valuation of uh, 5 million or more was filed with DBI. This was a 168 unit affordable housing building at 1515 South Van S. The valuation on that, uh, the valuation of work on that, I should say, uh, is uh, $59.6 million. And can we get the next slide, uh, Monique, please? Okay, so last month we issued three high-value permits uh, with a total valuation of $69.8 million. Uh, one permit was for a 90-unit affordable housing building at uh, 2550 Irving Street. Uh, its valuation was $50 million. Um, another uh, was a renovation of a vacant building into a behavioral health clinic at A22 Geary Street, and the valuation on that was $11.9 million. And if we can have the next slide, please. And uh, lastly, DBI finaled eight high-value permits. One was for 200 Van Ness Avenue. That's a new student housing and performance space. Uh, the valuation of the work on that project was $60 million. Uh, another was for a 56-unit mixed-use building at 2898 Sloat Street, and the valuation of that uh, project was $30 million. Um, and that's, that's my update on major projects available for any questions you may have. Any commissioner or uh, questions and comments? Or we could move on to the next item. For the next month, I'm just curious to see how this compares to pre-pandemics. If you could just, sure. if you could provide just, you know, this is what I guess September or August or September as you know, before 2019 versus now. Just kind of curious to to compare that. Certainly. So if we have the same month of 2019 to compare those numbers with, that's what you're okay. Absolutely. Yep. Any other questions, comments? Uh, yes. Oh. Uh, oh. There you go. I think I put in request to speak. Um, can you explain the valuation process and how these certain properties receive these certain figures? For example, the 822 Gary Street, why that's, I, it's just the one I'm looking at, so why it's uh, $11.9 as a valuation? Yeah, happy to do that, Commissioner. Um, the valuation is established based on the cost of the, of the work. So um, the larger projects obviously will have a greater valuation. So simply it's, it's a calculation based on the amount of work that needs to be performed to complete the project. Great, thank you. Any other comments, questions? Uh, the next item is uh, 4C 
update on DBI's finances. Good morning, commissioners, and congratulations to Interim President Toot, and again, welcome to Commissioners Chavez and Williams. I am Alex Koskinen, Deputy Director of Administration for DBI. I will present today the regular monthly finance update. And for the commissioners that are new and a refresher for the existing commissioners, this is a monthly look at the current um, finances of DBI, what happened in the previous month, what has happened year to date. The fiscal, and next month I will provide again a presentation that I had created uh, when I first started last October that shows what to expect in these monthly meetings. Some months will just be a regular update. Some months when the budget is happening, there will be extra presentations on that. The fiscal year for DBI and for the city is July through June, so we have just started a new fiscal year. However, the books aren't closed yet, so in September we will provide a look back at fiscal year 23 and how we ended up. So I, I, I will provide also more information at the next meeting about the department's current financial status, its fund balance, and the history of how we got to where we are today. So going through this, I, I will also add one thing at the end, just a, a brief update about the budget status. The budget is not signed yet. It will, it's expected to be signed by the mayor on August 1st, but it's for all intents and purposes done and is very unlikely to change. So I'll give a brief update about that. So next slide, please. Starting with revenue, as I mentioned, we're now in the next fiscal year, but the books aren't closed. Things are still coming in. Revenue is, for the most part, done, but there are still some transactions that are happening, so it's too early to give a final financial report on the previous, previous fiscal year. One notable item is that in June, things seem to have picked up, and our revenue has increased compared to what we had projected in Q3. We've got about a million more than we had expected. That's great news. It's too early to call that a trend, but we hope that it continues. And where we are right now and where we expect to be at the end of the year is about 54 million total revenue, which is about 4.2 or 7% below what was budgeted. Next slide, please. Here are the revenue actuals. I'll go over this a bit. The, uh, we have the, the fund, so there are operating funds and non-operating funds. The non-operating funds are special revenues. Um, there are various funds for very specific purposes, repair and demolition fund, building standards fund. Um, those are tend to be very small and funded by uh, very specific fees or specific um, charges that are not part of our larger operating budget. I'd be happy to discuss those, but they're, they're very small, the non-operating. Then uh, the next column is the account description. There are various types of revenues, so charges for services. These are the fees that we charge the public. 
expenditure recovery, these are services that we provide for other city departments, so not, not that big, although we are exploring charging more departments for the work that we do that we don't currently charge for. Interest and investment income, this is really just the interest that we receive on our fund balance. So in the previous decade, we have had significant balances and that earned significant revenues. However, we are rapidly depleting that fund balance and so this interest uh, in revenue is, is expected to decline. Licenses, permits, franchises, this is the apartment license fee. These, this is charged to um, apartment apartments of various unit sizes and it funds our housing inspections. Other revenues, these are miscellaneous, very small, and transfers in, these are transferred. There's only one in the previous fiscal year, and that was for a board add back for a very specific purpose, I believe, uh, some, an outreach effort. The next two columns will show the previous fiscal year, so still in fiscal year 22, the budget and actuals for the entire year, and then the next two columns are the budget and actuals for fiscal year 23. Normally it would be, it's, it's year to date, so now it's the entire year, although there's still more expected. And the next column shows year to date how much of the budget we have received currently. The last two columns, twice a year at six months, so January, and then in quarter three, we will undertake a big effort to come up with projections, how we think we're going to end the year, so we can plan if we think that there is a big deficit or a big surplus, we know ahead of time and we're not just taken by surprise. And so you can see the, the differences in what we had projected the, for the last update in, in Q3. The most significant one is the first line, the charge for services. We thought we'd only get 44 million, but so far we've received 45.8, although again, the 45.8 is not, the books aren't closed, some of that is unearned revenue, that number may go down some. Uh, next slide, please. On the expenditure side, expenditures are um, less complete than revenues are, we are still uh, we're only 81% spent, 81 spent of our budget and there are still many, many outstanding invoices. Businesses are often very slow and just suppliers of our goods and services are very slow in invoicing. Sometimes we receive invoices many months after, after the fact and so um, things are still moving and we'll report on final expenditures when, when the books are officially closed. On the salary side, uh, there one, one pay period has not posted yet or had not posted at the time this was updated, so the salary numbers are not complete. Salary posts two weeks after payday, so a little bit into July, the final pay period of the last fiscal year posts. So next slide, please. Again, these are the same numbers, the same format as uh, revenues, and the actuals are, are still moving, so we'll, we'll report that next, next time. Um, 
notable things are labor will definitely increase when the last pay period posts. We are still expecting non-personnel services, materials, and supplies. Those actuals will grow as we get and pay more invoices. And the city grant program, we've only spent uh, 3.1 of the five, uh, of the 4.86 total contract amount. So many of those organizations are, are very late typically with their, or their, their invoices arrive um, months after the, the year closes. So we'll be reviewing those and paying those well into this fiscal year for the previous fiscal year. And services of other departments as well. Uh, Q4 billing doesn't happen until um, early August usually. So um, other city departments, we don't have their Q4 bills from them. So those amounts that will, the 13.4 will definitely grow. And then on the non-operating side, I think those are pretty static and it looks like a, a large amount, but really what it is is just a technical revenue transfer from our fund balance that has not posted yet. So again, final accounting will be provided in a future meeting. Next slide, please. Now, Part of this report is also the number of permits, which informs, is, is kind of a good proxy for our revenue. And what we show is previous year month to date versus this year month to date. Now we have the entire year. These numbers should be final and should not change. And where we've ended up is that our total number of permits is 10 or 7% lower than the previous year and the valuation of those permits is 10% than less than the previous year. So next slide please. So here are the actual numbers and I'd like to point out for all the commissioners that the largest it, it's our fees are very uh, progressive in that the largest projects contribute a large percentage of our total revenue and those large projects are um, not regular, difficult to predict. You never know when they're going to come in or how, how, what the timing of them will be. And so one large project can add $200 million of valuation, which can be very significant fees, uh, fee revenue. And so that is an interesting thing to look at, but really we have to be reactive. It's very difficult to be proactive and project what fees will be next in the future. Nobody has a crystal ball or knows what will happen with the economy. So it's very difficult developing a revenue budget and projecting what will happen. Um, I'd like to give an update on the budget as it stands right now. The I'll, I'll go over in a future meeting all the different phases of the budget, but we are now currently in the full board phase, I believe. The full board is, has, the Budget and Finance Committee has done their part. The budget has been moved to the full board. The full board will approve and send to the mayor, and then the mayor will sign. At this phase, very few changes are made. I think everything is mostly done and it's, it, it's very unusual for something to change at this point. So um, 
the budget that was submitted to the BIC in February is largely what was approved final with one very notable exception, the CBO grants, the community-based organization grants. Those were submitted in February as part of the budget. They were removed in the mayor's phase of the budget uh, for the June 1st budget and then have been added back through the Board of Supervisors phase of the budget. Um, the amount was, the contract amount that the organizations received is $4.86 million. However, the add back was only for 4.8, so about 60,000 was not restored and um, we expect that to be fully approved. The mechanism by which the funds were added back is a transfer from the general fund. So DBI will now receive an ongoing annual transfer of $4.8 million from the general fund and that is where it stands right now. We have informed the community-based organizations of the change of the 4.8 and the approximately 1% reduction in their amounts going forward. And we've let them know that the, the funds have been restored and to please continue their work. That's my update for today and I'd be happy to answer any questions. Hello, I have a question. Um, so uh, you stated that there's challenges in projecting revenue based because large projects, you don't know when the fees will come in. And correct me if I'm misstating that. Uh, with that said, I was wondering, and if you wouldn't mind uh, explaining, how, how do you uh, come to the projections for revenue? Like, so in these, uh, in the reports, it was projected revenue. What's, what's the process by which you come to those figures? Well, for the year-end projections, for example, at quarter three, we talk to our permit services staff. What do you see happening? Are things increasing, decreasing? We'll talk to our revenue team. How much are you getting per day? How steady is it? And then we will try our best to estimate what has been happening and what we think will happen based on what has been happening. But you never know, a, a humongous apartment building could just be, could come in the next day and then you could get a ton of revenue or it could completely dry up. There is some seasonality and there are some uh, uh, timing factors. For example, every three years there's a building code update that happens at the end of the calendar year that happened last December. So we witnessed lots of people coming in to try and get their permits in with the, new, with the old rules before the new rules took effect. So that created a bit of an increase in revenue and we understood that. So that created a challenge for our six month projections because we had just recently experienced an uptick and we knew that that probably wouldn't continue and it didn't. Um, I think January through um, May had been very, very slow, and it's, it's just very difficult to project. So next year, for next year's budget, or this current New Year's budget, we have projected and put in, in input into the budget, and we have assumed an 18% decrease in the demand for our services. So we're hoping that that is... Um, 
an 18% decrease from fiscal year 22, which at the time of budget development was the last full year that we had. So in fiscal year 23, the year that just closed, we're expecting about 7% less than fiscal year 22. So if this next, if this current new fiscal year is less than 10% worse than the last fiscal year, then we're, we're in good shape. Um, again, it's a very, very difficult thing to project. We spoke with the city's Office of Economic Analysis and tried to get their opinions on what they thought would happen, but it's, it's really just our best guess based on what we've seen in the past and just uh, intuition from our, our permit staff and, and industry people that we speak to. Hi, I have another question. Thank you so much for the presentation today. Uh, so it does look like, it, it sounds like the number might change, but we are expecting a deficit for this year. Yes. Yeah. So who loses from that? How do you remedy the deficit? What What are the impacts of that type of a deficit when the department has that? So if starting in 2010, there was a huge construction boom and revenues outpaced expenditures. We built up a very large fund balance. And so the short answer is that we'll just come out of our accumulated fund balance and we're, we're paying for it with one-time one time balances. Those will not last forever. We've already committed what we expect to be pretty much all of it for the next to balance the next two years of our budgets. That doesn't assume any revenue increases, which we will likely need to discuss at some point during this next year, during the fiscal year 25 budget development. Thank you. Are there any other commissioner comments or questions? Okay. Jen? Um, so will the, uh, at our next meeting, the fiscal 23-24, the fiscal year 23-24 will be, um, will be brought in, and then the 15% the fee increase is already presumed, right, and then we'll, we have the opportunity to consider that again when we have the fee study, uh, the fiscal, um, the the fee increase uh, and and how that will impact our budget. Can you um, just talk about uh, timeline between now and uh, just kind of what are the budget timelines between now and uh, I guess our February budget meetings? Sure. Thank you, uh, Interim President Tude, for reminding me and Debbie, uh, City Attorney Rab. Rob Kapla, um, as part of the fiscal year 24 budget, also assumed is a 15% across the board fee increase. There is currently a, an ordinance that is make it, making its way through the budget process. It is tied to the budget, budget trailing legislation. We, it, it has already been discussed by the committee, possibly the full board yesterday, but I'm not positive and is expected to go through as is and be adopted. So that would mean our fees will increase 30 days after the mayor signs it or 30 days after, 10 days after the mayor declines to sign it, which is unlikely to happen. So the mayor typically signs the budget on August 1st. And so our fees would be, our fee increase would be effective on September 1st. Um, we are also currently in the middle of a fee study to review 
department costs, assign those costs to the various fees we charge, investigate whether or not we should get rid of some fees, charge new fees for work that we're doing. There is existing legislation that has authorized fees that we don't currently charge. There's work that we do for other city departments that we don't currently charge for. So we're investigating all of that. The results of this fee study are expected to come out in the fall. So I think by, by November at the latest. And there will definitely be a lot of discussion around this. I think there are political implications here. The mayor's office is very interested. I'm sure the BIC will be very interested in the results of the fee study. And each line item fee will, the cons we have a consultant doing this fee study for us and the results of this will be line items. This fee should be this amount. This fee should be this amount. And that may or may not represent a ceiling so if decisions are made not to raise some of the fees, not to take some of the recommendations of the fee study, then questions arise of how services will be funded, how that gap will be made up. And so it will be a very interesting discussion, I'm sure. And we will keep you informed um, and you will, as soon as the fee study uh, draft result is released, we will bring it to the bank and share it with you. And, and to answer your last question about timelines, roughly the budget process um, is the controller now starts working on the base budget for fiscal years uh, 20, 24-25 and 25-26. They, they go and make technical adjustments, uh, input the new labor amounts for salaries, et cetera, et cetera. And then in December, the budget system will open for departments. Departments have from December to February to develop their budget proposal for the next two years. In February, we meet at the BIC and present the budget that we've developed and, and work with the BIC to input their, your priorities. And then from February to June, it's the mayor's phase of the budget. So the mayor's office typically kicks all departments out of the system, does what they do, input the mayor's priorities. And then from in, in June, the bu budget hearings are held by budget and finance committee. They review, they make cuts and ads. They then refer their findings to the full board. The full board votes and then it goes to the mayor. Or, yeah, for final signature. Any other questions, comments? Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, the next item on the agenda is 4D, update on proposed or recently enacted state or local legislation. Good morning, commissioners, interim president Toot. Welcome commissioners Chavez and Williams. I'm Carl Nasita. I'm legislative affairs manager for DBI. And I am here to present a monthly update on local and state legislation impacting the department. I will give this update monthly. And for our new commissioners in your packet, there's a full list of legislation, either proposed or recently enacted. Um, some of which I've covered at previous big meetings, so I won't cover today, but it's there for you if you'd like to review it. 
The next slide. The first item I will cover today is an ordinance amending the planning code and building code to facilitate adaptive reuse of residential uses downtown. Uh, this ordinance amends the building code by directing DBI to develop an adaptive reuse manual of standards for such projects. And the board did pass this ordinance in June and it was signed by the mayor, become effective August 4th. DBI staff and technical services are working on those standards which will be presented to the BIC. And I will note that this ordinance was duplicated so that some additional changes to the planning code could be made and that duplicate file is making its way through the legislative process right now but nothing affects the building code in that duplicate file so it will not be re-referred to the BIC. Next slide. Uh, the next is an ordinance amending the planning and building code to create a temporary amnesty program in response to a flood of anonymous complaints that were received about unpermitted business awnings throughout the city. The amnesty program includes a streamlined application process and a permit fee waiver to bring those unpermitted awnings into compliance. The board passed the ordinance last week and it's awaiting the mayor's signature. She was the sponsor of the legislation, so we do expect that to happen. And as with the last ordinance, there is a duplicate of this ordinance, which makes additional changes to the planning code, but will not be re-referred to the BIC. It was heard at Land Use Committee last Monday. Next slide, please. And on Monday of this week, the Land Use Committee recommended approval of an ordinance amending the building code to outline the site permit application process and require simultaneous interdepartmental review of site permit applications. And the board had its first vote on that ordinance yesterday. Next slide. So I won't go into too much detail uh, on the ordinance that's on the slide that you can't see uh, regarding a fee waiver of awning and sign permits uh, for small businesses. It's number five on the agenda. Um, and you'll hear from a representative from Supervisor Joel Ingardio's office on that one. Um, there's also an ordinance to change the way that the city sets, imposes, and collects the various development impact fees. It's item number six on today's agenda. And you will hear from representatives from the Planning Department and the Office of Economic and Workforce Development. Uh, also, on the local side of things, an ordinance amending the electrical code to require specific certifications for electric work has been introduced by Supervisor Connie Chan. It's referred to the BIC for your recommendation, and it will be on the next agenda for you. And I, I will confirm what uh, Deputy Director Koskinen stated earlier. The board did have its first vote on the budget yesterday, um, and it passed 10 to, 10 to 1. Uh, its final vote will be next week. And the board also voted on the trailing legislation increasing DBI's fees by 15% across the board. And on the state legislation side, Assemblymember Matt Haney's AB 1114, which would make post-entitlement permits, including building permits, ministerial, as well as impose time limits for completing permit application review. Uh, that one is with the Senate Appropriations Committee right now. If passed by that committee, it will be heard on the Senate floor, so I should have a further update for you next week, or next month, rather, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you. The next item is uh, 4E, update on inspection services. Uh, good morning, Interim President Toot and new commissioners and old commissioners. I'm Matthew Green, Acting uh, Deputy Director for Inspection Services. I'm pleased to provide an update on the activities and performance of our Inspection Services Division. Can I get the slide? 
Um, in June of 2023, the Building Electrical and Plumbing Divisions conducted 10,594 inspections. 95% of those inspections were conducted within two business days of the date requested by the customer, meeting our target of 90%. I'm sorry? Oh, oh I'm sorry. One moment. No, not the right one. This is for four E. That's the correct one. Next slide. All right, I'll just repeat what I said so you can refer to the slide. So in June of 2023, the Building Electrical and Plumbing Divisions conducted 10,594 inspections. 95% of those inspections were conducted within two business days of the date requested by the customer, meeting our goal of 90%. Next slide. And next slide, please. In the same month, our housing inspection services conducted 899 inspections with 112 of those being routine inspections of multifamily housing. Next, please. The building electrical and plumbing divisions received 483 complaints and responded to 100% of them within three business days, well exceeding their target of 85%. Additionally, our code enforcement division sent 66 cases to director's hearing. Next slide. Lastly, our housing inspection services received 336 non-life hazard complaints and responded to 91% of them within three business days. For life hazard and heat complaints, housing received 34 complaints and responded to 88% of them within one business day. Housing inspection services also abated 334 cases with a notice of violation and sent 45 cases to director's hearing. Um, I'm available for any questions you may have. I have a, I have a question. Sure. Um, so at least on uh, slide three, with the housing inspection uh, statistics, um, what is a routine inspection of a, of multifamily housing, and is that distinguished from other some other uh, inspection? What is a routine? oh sure. So uh, apartment houses, which would be three units or more, pay an annual apartment license fee, which funds these routine inspections. So a routine inspection is um, should be is supposed to be done at least once every five years. It's performed by the housing inspections, and it's limited to the um, the common areas of the building. So, you know, hallways, fire escapes, rear stairs, storage rooms, stuff like that. They don't go into the actual units. And now, the other inspections performed by housing inspections would be 
complaint um, responses, which are generally um, tenant complaints, which could be, could be in the common areas, but they're more likely inside the actual units themselves. Maintenance issues such as no heat, um, peeling paint, roof leaking, stuff like that. So that's the, the, main, um, the main difference between the two. Great, thank you. Thank you. Any more? I, oh. I, I have a question, more of an education piece, but um, in for the for housing, it's the majority is complaint based. Is can you speak to how the what is the inspection cadence? What is the um, the routing of inspections for plumbing, electrical, and building? Is it uh, you know what percentage is is, is complaint based? Um, which percentage is uh, part of the permit process? And is code enforcement also included in that? Um, so actually, we. So, so the vast majority are response to actual uh, construction permits, right? Um, you, a plumber pulls a plumbing permit to replace the kitchen sink. They, um, they'll call for inspections. They're rough in in the final inspection. I mean, that's a simple, but it could be much more complicated than that. Um, we also receive complaints about work for ongoing construction projects. Uh, you know, say, neighbor thinks that a building isn't being built to the uh, approved plans. So they'll file a complaint with us and our um, building inspector to respond. Um, we also have a complaint investigation team that um, will follow up on complaints from neighbors or tenants about, um, how do I put this? We, we break them up between, there's complaints against properties that have active, active building plumbing electrical permits. Those will be referred to the actual district inspectors. If there's a complaint against the property that doesn't have any active permits, we send that to our complaint investigation team. I, I, I know that's a big, you know, 10,000 uh, foot view, but does that help? Thanks. Thanks. Um, this is, it's great to see such a quick response rate. I was wondering if you have any information about what the outcome of the, the each case is afterwards. I know that this is how quickly inspectors are showing up and, and responding to a complaint, but do you have any data on, on what happens after? Um, I'm sure we could get that information. It's either gonna, you know, a complaint is an allegation, the inspector can go out and we'll determine um, if the, the complaint is invalid, they'll close the complaint. If it is a valid complaint, it could pro probably lead to a notice of violation and go down the code enforcement process. Um, I don't have those numbers in front of me, but I'm sure we could dig those up for the future. That would be great, thank okay. you. Thank you. Any other questions, comments? Move on to item five. Uh, before we move, oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Is there any public comment on a director's report, item 4A through E? Am I gonna get more than a minute and 50 seconds? Just two, uh, three minutes, just one second. Thank you. Go ahead. Thank you very much. My name is Jerry Durantler, and I have three comments. One, I would like to see the monthly permit schedule modified to include the average permit fee for each of the 10 lines this year and last year. Two, DBI's failure to implement the controller's recommendation to lock down the permit tracking system to prohibit DBI employees from altering systems records is inconsistent with any DBI actions to root out corrupt behavior. And three, the city controller is required to issue a formal evaluation of the new budget. I would encourage all the commissioners to read the report 
to understand the city's current and future budget crisis. The mayor took about $640 million in reserves to balance the budget. This means the mayor avoided the structural changes required to adjust the city's cost structure to the new operating realities. There's a phrase in the Midwest that really summarizes this, and it's called eating your seed corn. Thank you. Is there any other public comment virtual? Seeing none, we'll move on to uh, agenda item five. The CAC letter that was in your supporting documents is not correct. I will update the correct one uh, by the end of today. So apologies for that, but item five is uh, discussion and possible action regarding Board of Supervisors Ordinance file number 230559-2, amending the planning, building, and fire codes to codify the annual waiver of awning replacement fees and awning sign fees applied for during the month of May in addition to other requirements. Thank you, Monique. Hi again, Commissioners Carl Nasita, Legislative Affairs Manager, here to introduce an ordinance that would expand the May Small Business Awning Fee Waiver to include business signs. Next slide, please. So before I invite Tita Bell, who is Chief of Staff to Joel Engardio, who's the sponsor of this legislation, up to speak to you, I'd like to take a moment to give a brief refresher on the various awning fee, waiver, fee waivers and programs, because I know you've been hearing a lot about awnings for a while except for our new commissioners, but you will. Um, earlier this year, Supervisor Ingardio sponsored an ordinance to codify an annual awning fee waiver for small businesses every May, uh, which is Small Business Month in San Francisco. And that legislation would uh, does waive permit fees for small businesses that apply for permits in May to replace an awning. The ordinance also waives permit fees for new awning installations for a limited two-year period, retroactive to May 2023 and next May 2024. So that's the first one listed on this slide. Um, that ordinance was passed by the Board of Supervisors and signed by the mayor, so it's in effect now. Uh, then there's an awning amnesty program that I mentioned in my legislative update earlier this morning. That legislation creates a temporary amnesty program for unpermitted awnings and streamlines an application process to legalize awnings. It also waives applicable fees through June 2024. That ordinance was passed by the Board of Supervisors on July 11th, and as I mentioned earlier, it does need the mayor's signature, but she was a sponsor, so we expect that by Friday of this week. And third on that list, finally, before you today for your consideration and recommendation to the Board of Supervisors is a duplicate of the first one on that list, the May Small Business Awning Fee Waiver. This duplicate ordinance would add a fee waiver for new installations of business signs, also for a limited two-year period retroactive to May 2023 and May 2024. Monique mentioned the CAC's recommendation letter. At their June 12th, 2023 meeting, the CAC made a recommendation to the VIC to recommend approval of the ordinance if it is amended to require reimbursement of fees waived by DBI from the city's general fund. So that is an amendment staff would welcome given the deep deficits that you heard Deputy Director Koskinen speak about a lot and earlier this morning using our reserves to balance our budget. And there is precedent for reimbursement from the general fund under the city's first year free program, which is the same target 
audience or community, the small business community, that this awning fee waiver intends to reach. We did look at the number of permits and the fees collected by DBI for May 2023. And we collected $22,000 in fees, 33 permits were issued. That equals about $583 per permit. Um, so it's not a huge amount. Like I said, though, we would welcome reimbursement. Um, but I should note that that $22,000 in fees for May 2023 is all signed permits that we received fees for. And this fee waiver is for small businesses, which under the planning code is businesses of 100 or fewer, with 100 or fewer employees. And today, your requested action is to make a recommendation on this ordinance to the Board of Supervisors. And as a reminder, and for our new commissioners, you can make a recommendation of approval or a recommendation of disapproval. And either way, you can suggest any number of modifications, but it would be up to the sponsor of the legislation whether or not to accept those modifications recommended. And now, after all of that, I'll invite Tita Bell, who's Chief of Staff to Supervisor Joel Ingardio, to come up to present. Good morning, Commissioners. Good morning, uh, President Toot and Director O'Riordan. I'm Tita Bell, uh, legislative aide for Supervisor Ingardio. Um, for the benefit of the new members of this commission, um, well, Mr. Nasita did a wonderful job of summarizing the legislation that's before you today, but it is a continuation um, of our office's um, efforts to expand the Small Business Month um, promotional program, really, to support um, and incentivize our small businesses to, to keep going and to um, beautify their storefronts and to do uh, make modifications that they believe would be necessary to, um, to revitalize their businesses. The only thing in this legislation is to add one more fee waiver to the program and it's to include all business signs applied for by a small business. It was a recommendation from the planning department. Um, I am aware of the uh, proposed or the recommendation to modify this legislation, and I will certainly convey that to Supervisor Ingardio and take that under advisement. Um, if this item is heard in the Land Use Committee, I'll certainly convey that as well. Um, but the intent behind this legislation, I believe, is clear, and uh, we're grateful that this body unanimously supported the version that was just passed and enacted into law and we would appreciate your support for this further amendment as well. And I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. Thank you. Thank you, if I may. Oh, um, either Alex or yourself, I, either one. It, it's a quick question. Um, on yes. the sign itself, um, mm -hmm. so we're adding that, just making sure I understand it, to the awning, waving, awning waiver fee, we're adding signage now to that. Which right, so the existing program before Supervisor Ingardio's initial legislation, um, I think it dates back to 2014, it's to waive um, plan check and inspection fees for replacing awnings, the signs on those awnings, pedestrian level lighting, um, yes, and those three things. And then our legislation this year added new awning installations and the signage on the new awnings. And now this is 
um, an amendment to cover all business signs for a small business. And so it could be a sign that's not on an awning. And is this just for May? And just for May. Year? The program okay. runs annually in the month of May. And so um, consistent with the ordinance that was passed earlier, uh, there was a request by uh, Supervisor Chan to limit this fee waiver just to two months, uh, two years, so 2023 and 2024. And so we're replicating that limitation for this expansion to signs. It will only be in effect retroactively for this year and then for next year, and then we can reconsider whether to keep this program going with these new additions, new awnings and business signs. Okay, and one hopefully last question. Yeah. Um, the If you did in fact put up a sign in uh, May and we weren't aware of the, the reimbursement or the, the free program, can, is this retroactive? Can we uh, it is back? It is retroactive and we will be working with the Office of Small Business to advise um, applicants who were eligible um, to apply for a refund. The refund process, I believe, is described in the legislation. Okay, that's fantastic. I really appreciate this legislation a lot. I know on our side of the town, you know, I think it's wherever the seagulls are hanging out. We do more signs than awnings, and I think on that part of town, you know, right. they're probably the same. So um, we appreciate it. And adding the signs, I think, was just a, a, just a great move, and I, I so appreciate that. Thank, Thank you. you. I have a question. Yes. Um, so I, <clears throat> I think I understand the purpose of the legislation. Um, I think it makes sense, uh, but where I'm uh, curious is why limit it just to the months of May? If it's uh, if it's a good idea in May, why isn't it a good idea in April or June? That would be a question for the uh, original sponsors of the Small Business Month program, but Small Business Month was something that came out of, um, I believe, then-Supervisor Katie Tang, who is now the head of um, the Office of Small Business. And the month, it's a celebration of small business that includes various events, even you know social events. Um, but for purposes of DBI um, and planning, one of the components is to waive uh, plan check and inspection fees to encourage small businesses to modify you know, their storefront. So I'm not sure why um, there isn't talks of making this program happen in a different month or in, in more months than just May, but I do know that May was, has been designated as Small Business Month, and there are other, there's other programming around it. Thank you. Of course. Any other questions or comments? So we'll do a roll call vote on the item. Oh, there does need to be a motion. Or is the motion, or is there public comment in the motion? Is there any public comment on item five? Okay, there's no public comment. Um, we go ahead with the motion. If I may, I very enthusiastically would like to make a motion to approve the uh, Board of Supervisors ordinance to amend the planning code fire and codify the annual waiver, awning replacement fees, and awning sign fee applied during the month of May. Excuse me. Is there a second? 
I, I would like to pose that we include the recommended language from the subcommittee uh, that says we're reimbursed for those costs from the general fund. Deputy City Attorney Rob Kapla, is that a friendly amendment to the motion? Would you accept that? Okay. So the motion would be to approve the ordinance with the recommendations from the Code Advisory Committee. Is there a second? Can you say that again? Second the motion. Thank you. And I'll do a roll call vote. Vote, uh, commission or president, uh, interim president, uh, Alexander Toot? Yes. Uh, Commissioner Chavez? Yes. Commissioner Newman? Yes. Commissioner Sa uh, Shaddix? Yes. Commissioner Summer? Yes. And Commissioner Williams? Yes. Uh, the motion passes uh, unanimously. Um, and then we can go on to item six. Thank you. Uh, agenda item agenda item six is discussion and possible action regarding Board of Supervisors Advisors Ordinance File Number 230764, amending the planning code to number one, modify the annual indexing of certain development impact fees with the exception of inclusionary housing fees. Two, provide that type that the type of rates of applicable development imp impact fees with the exception of inclusionary housing fees shall be determined at the time of the pro of project approval. Uh, number three, exempt eligible development projects in PDR product production dis distribution and repair districts and the C2 community business district from all development impact fees for a three year period Number four, allow payment of development impact fees with the exception of fees deposited in, a sit in the citywide affordable housing fund to be deferred until issuance of the first certificate of occupancy. And number five, adopt the San Francisco citywide nexus analysis supporting existing de uh, development impact fees for recreation and open space, child care facilities, complete streets and transit infrastructure and making conforming revis revisions to Article 4 of the Planning Code, amending the Building Code to allow payment of development impact fees with the exception of fees deposited in, in the Citywide Affordable Housing Fund to be deferred until issuance of the first certificate of occupancy and repealing the fee deferral surcharge in addition to other requirements. Thank you, Monique. Hello again, Commissioners Carl Nasita, Legislative Affairs Manager. As you heard in the very long title, this ordinance has both building code and planning code amendments. So you'll hear a presentation today on the whole ordinance from Planning Department Chief of Staff Dan Sider and the City's Director of Development, Antopie. So your questions and feedback are welcome, especially with respect to the building code amendment specifically, since the building code's under your jurisdiction. And I will note that the Code Advisory Committee made a unanimous recommendation to the BIC to recommend this ordinance to the Board of Supervisors for approval. So your requested action today is to make a recommendation of approval to the Board of Supervisors for the Board's further action. And now I'll turn it over to Dan Sider, Chief of Staff at the Planning Department. <clears throat> uh, 
Good morning, Commissioners. Dan Sider with the Planning Department. Uh, Interim President Toot, congratulations. Uh, as, as Carl just indicated, I'm joined today by Ann Taubier, the Director of the Office of Economic and Workforce Development. Um, thank you for considering this item, this long-titled item. Um, this is an ordinance introduced by Mayor Breed uh, that would lessen the financial burden of the impact fees that we assess on housing and on other development projects in the city. <clears throat> the goal here is to increase the production of housing to stimulate job creation and to grow the economy. Uh, for the most part, this legislation changes the planning code. Um, having said that, as Carl indicated, there are also some very important changes to your code, to the building code, um, which is why we're here today asking for your support. Uh, as we talk about the specifics, I'd like to put a quick presentation, just two slides up on the screen if we could. Just to frame things for you, commissioners, uh, the legislation deals only with development impact fees. It does not deal with application fees. It does not deal with the fees that are paid to the city to cover the costs of review and approval. Um, as I said before, it does amend both the planning and building codes, and you really can't talk about one without talking about the other. So bear, bear with me, if you would, please, commissioners, as we go through um, the four substantive uh, amendments that are contained in the ordinance. The first three are planning code, the final one is largely building code. Um, every year, commissioners, impact fees go up. Uh, today they're indexed by something called the AICCIE, which stands for the Annual Infrastructure Construction Cost Inflation Estimate. Uh, over the last few years, uh, that number has generally ranged from 2 or 3% to about 6%. Um, this ordinance would replace that variable number with a flat 2% rate. Uh, it's a stable number, it's a predictable number, and it would help create an environment that we think is much more conducive to getting projects built. Uh, secondly is this question of how fees do or do not get locked in. Um, right now, impact fees are indexed every year, as we just talked about, <clears throat> but that happens even past, <clears throat> excuse me, that happens even past the point of planning commission approval. Um, this ordinance would lock in those impact fees at the planning level approval so that the annual increase we just talked about really only applies to new projects and does not apply to projects that are already approved. In other words, once you're approved, you have that certainty of exactly what it will cost you to pull your permit. Um, the third change that you can see on the screen right now would uh, boost our cultural and industrial base by providing what's effectively a three-year fee holiday uh, for two kinds of projects. This is not every project, it's a very specific subset. Firstly, hospitality projects that are located in the northeast corner of the city. Um, and secondly, our larger retail or industrial projects that are on uh, underdeveloped lots in industrially zoned neighborhoods. Uh, lastly, commissioners, and most important for you, um, are those changes to the building code that deal with the fee deferral program. Back in the Great Recession, uh, the city created an impact fee deferral program that existed between 2010 and 2013. Um, under that program, instead of requiring impact fees to be paid at the time of construction document issuance, we allowed deferral of those fees until immediately before occupancy. Uh, more recently, 
the city's economic recovery task force has recommended that this program be reinstated. Uh, that's what this ordinance would do. Uh, it would also make two changes to that program. Uh, the first is that it would eliminate the original program's assessment of interest, and it would also uh, not allow for housing impact fees, for any impact fees related to affordable housing, to be included in the deferral. Um, so th those two changes really reflect how important it is right now to get projects underway while also recognizing the importance of getting funds for affordable housing online ASAP. Um, this is all accomplished through a package of amendments to your code, to the building code. We're here today asking for your support, uh, and as Carl indicated earlier, that support would align with uh, the support we received from your CAC last week, as well as from the Planning Commission on Thursday. Um, commissioners, this ordinance is all about economic recovery and getting housing built online to meet our housing goals. It provides certainty and predictability in the construction process. Um, it's going to spur development and create jobs and create tax revenue. On balance, impact fees are the biggest single lever that we can control that affects project feasibility, and we feel strongly that this is the time to pull that lever. Um, Director Topia and I are here to respond to any questions that you might have. Uh, again, we're asking for your support, and we thank you very much for your time. Any commissioner questions or comments? Oh, sorry, good afternoon. Good morning, commissioners. And uh, my name is Antopia, the Director of Development in the Office of Economic and Workforce Development. Uh, and I want to also thank you for your consideration of this item today. I also want to extend my congratulations to interim President Toot and also to the new appointees to the commission. Uh, the piece of legislation, this piece of legislation, is part of a fee reform legislative package introduced by Mayor Breed and President Peskin on June 27th. The packet is one component of the city's comprehensive efforts supporting both our need to stimulate construction of our housing pipeline projects, incentivize investment in the city's commercial corridors, and support our economic recovery, of which our housing goals are a critical element. Um, the fee deferral part of the legislation results in changes to the building code. Dan uh, just went through all of that, so, uh, so I won't reiterate that, but by reforming the way impact fees are escalated and when they are assessed, this legislation provides certainty and predictability for builders advancing projects, as well as for city staff budgeting and spending the fee revenue. It will also help uh, improve the financial feasibility of projects by not subjecting projects to fee escalation after they have already been approved. Um, the impact fee deferral program was successfully in place in, from 2010 to 2013, and the city's 2020 Economic Recovery Task Force recommended reinstating the fee deferral program as one tool that we could make available to support the city's economic recovery. More projects moving forward does mean more jobs, more tax revenue, more economic growth, and more stability for our city. So uh, again, we thank you for your consideration of these items and, and uh, are available for questions. Uh, is there any public comment on item six? Any commissioner questions and comments? Okay. Um, just some thoughts here. I mean, I agree with what was said that certainly impact fees are one of the biggest controls we have in um, 
sort of being able to support or spur development, but they also support real things. Um, they support our parks, they support our schools, and they're assessed at particular levels uh, to make sure that we are able to maintain those things, right? Um, I, in general, think that everything posed here makes a lot of sense as far as predictability as someone who, you know, it, as my day job as an affordable housing developer, I appreciate predictability for sure. I'm a little concerned about the annual index and changing that to a fixed 2% um, uh, because the index that's presently used is meant to reflect uh, the changes we're seeing in those costs for the real things that those impact fees pay for. Um, and so I just wanted to sort of share share my thoughts there, um, but in general, I, I do support um, this ordinance and, and moving it forward. Thank you so much for your presentations. I think this might be for Dan. Um, first off, I fully support this. I support anything to just stimulate um, you know, economic activity, so thank you for spelling out that very long. <laughs> Paragraph, I just have to clarify one thing. When you refer to industrial, I think you're referring to my side of town. Um, so there's, there are a couple industries that are doing very, very well on my side of town. And I won't mention them by name, but um, are they also part of this? Are they considered, or will their fee impacts be deferred or waived? Um, I mean, I, I just sense that they're doing just fine. Um, everybody else, great, but so I don't know if that's a yes or no. Um, I just wanted to clarify that. And, uh, and I also, as Commissioner Newman says, I, I fully support this too. <clears throat> Commissioner Shaddix, it's a very good question. It's a very long piece of legislation with a very elaborate definition of exactly what kind of projects are eligible for the fee holiday. With regards to industrial projects, um, sort of the, the, the threshold consideration is that only what we call PDR districts are, are zoning districts in which that could be granted. PDR stands for Production, Distribution, and Repair. Those are uh, exclusively found in sort of the greater southeast part, part of the city. Uh, Bayview, Northeast Mission, uh, waterfront lands in, in the sort of southeast waterfront. Um, from there, there's an eligibility, eligibility criteria that deals with the level of development on the lot. Specifically, you have to have a 0.25 to 1 or lower FAR. So we're only talking about lots that have very little development on them, if any, being eligible for this for this fee waiver. And then if you, if you meet those two criteria, there's a third which deals with the amount of square footage being added, which is between 25,000 gross square feet and 200,000 gross square feet. And as a fourth and final layer of eligibility, the project itself has to either propose <clears throat> a retail use or a PDR land use. So it's a fairly bespoke fee holiday. There's also the, the exemption for um, hospitality projects on the northeast side of town, but that, that's sort of a, apart from this one exemption. I hope that answers your question, a little bit at least. Um, I may have missed this, but I was wondering why these were the three getting the uh, fee holiday, hospitality, industrial, and retail. Is there reasoning behind like why those those three types of development were chosen? 
I, I think, I'm sorry, thank you, Anne Topier from the Office of Economic and Workforce Development. I mean, I, we, we recognize that the hospitality industry is probably our hard, hardest hit sector, and what we're hoping to do is, is um, stimulate uh, or, or incentivize including those uses in new development projects. So if you're, you've got a housing project or a commercial project, um, you know, by giving a fee holiday on hospitality uses, we're really hoping that we'll, it will incentivize the inclusion of those. We're, you know, there's a, entire programs that are also geared at um, filling vacancies, but we also just want to make sure that we've got a robust hospitality sector because it was certainly our hardest hit in the job. Yeah, I just, I, I just have the question because we have so many vacancies in retail and hospitality right now, if waiving building new retail and hospitality is really the right direction we should be going um, because we, we have plenty of space that should be used and not vacant. Okay, thank you. Um, I'll ask my questions and then you can determine which is, you know, uh, who should feel, who's the best to field it. Um, my first question was, um, has there been stakeholder engagement? I heard that there was the 2020 Economic Recovery Committee that recommended this. Kind of who else is has been involved in this conversation from the larger uh, uh, city community? And then um, what is the budget impact expected to be? Has there been analysis on, on the budget impact? And then my third question is, um, is uh, if the current scale is 2% to 6%, what was the thinking behind the 2% as a permanent um, escalation versus kind of somewhere in the middle? Thank you. Thank you for that question. So um, there, there's been a, a long, robust engagement from certainly from the development community, from the housing community, about how impact fees have been so unpredictable. And in fact, over the last three years, there's been a significant increase in impact because of um, our fee escalation, but also because of other uh, you know, factors, including construction costs. And the 2% the is really based on uh, looking at across the region and across the country, uh, there's a, the annual escalation rate of these kinds of fees is typically between one and three percent, um, and I and I think what you know what we're we're trying to do is make sure that we continue to grow our our fees. We we will continue to collect those fees. We're not reducing other than the sort of the holiday. Um, they will continue to to escalate over time. They are um, they are set by index, so uh, by I'm mean, sorry by a nexus study. So we're we're still in compliance with the nexus study component of the impact fees, and they are we're not removing the AICCIE's ability. We're sort of allowing them to continue to make whatever projections they need to make for future city capital projects. So they will continue to escalate at a rate that they need to to, to make sure that they're accommodating the city's needs while impact fees, which are set by the Nexus study, will escalate at a more predictable rate. Um, and then I, sorry, I forgot the other part of your question. <laughs> the, the Budget Analysis Office has not done an analysis on this, and again, these are, um, this is forward-looking, uh, and, and we're, we're, what we're hoping to do is really incentivize more projects to pull applications so that we've got growth overall. Uh, and again, we're, you know, it's, there's not, it's not looking backward. Not retroactive in any way. I'm sorry. Uh, this is not retroactive in no. any way. 
Thank you. Uh, there's a date certain, and I apologize, I can't remember, there's a date certain by which you have to have your project approved in order to be eligible. Okay, thank you very much. A question uh, for either of the presenters. So it was mentioned that this is a um, long, lengthy piece of legislation. It is. Uh, it's not that uh, um, it's not that easily easily read, and I think it. You know, I'm I'm hearing the purpose of the legislation. I'm seeing the legislation itself, and I'm hearing what the objectives are through this legislation. You know, to promote economic growth, make it easier to develop, to support uh, the hospitality industry. I. I cannot see in the legislation, like just been reading it, how this legislation actually achieves that outcome. And that is in part due to me being new to the commission and not having a lot of time to thoroughly engage in this material or hearing any other uh, information about it beforehand. So if you could, it sounds good, uh, but if you could just help, uh, help me out and maybe some of the other commissioners out or the public out by just maybe giving in practical terms what this will do to a, a business that's trying to develop, or how this will promote the economy, instead of just instead of just the endpoint, which is this will promote growth. Like, how does it promote growth specifically? Uh, like, for a business or a developer, like, what does what does this do in practical terms? I think we can both try to take a crack at this. So, I think one of the things about impact fees is that they are currently assessed uh, when a project is, uh, or they're 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 assessed on a project's the size of a project, and they are also um, they are they're, they will continue to escalate while that project is going through its permitting, its street mapping, its um, design process. So you approve a project in 2019, uh, you have an idea in 2019 what your uh, impact fees are. But over the next two to three years, as you're going through the rest of the process to get to break ground on your project, those fees are continuing to escalate. And it's not, it is, there's no way to predict at what rate they're going to escalate right now. And so what we're, what we're hearing back from the, the, the building community and the construction community is like, it, you then have to finance those fees as well. So the, you know, the, whoever is developing a, a project has to take into consideration financing those fees. If those fees are unpredictable, uh, they can actually affect your pro forma, and the, and you're, you've now financed a project that is already over budget, and so it's it's really kind of stabilizing that process, creating predictability. Um, I, I think one of the things that we are also trying to stimulate here is you know getting the investment community to come back to San Francisco, recognizing and acknowledging that the city needs to um, to pay attention to the fact that there is a narrative out there that. It's not worth the risk because it's too unpredictable. And we're also trying to make sure that we are recognizing how these kinds of, this kind of unpredictability has affected our ability to approve project and get projects moving. I mean, we've got over 60,000 units of housing entitled, approved, waiting in our pipeline that have not been able to move forward for a variety of reasons. Uh, the number one reason we hear about is uh, the inability to finance those projects. And so we're trying to, to you know, understand how our our regulations are impacting the ability for these projects to move forward. Thank you. Commissioner Salute. 
Um, so the there's the second part of this. So one of it is is kind of solidifying the two percent. The second is when the fee gets paid, and that's at the um, certification right, certification. Right, I just had it. Uh, uh, when the first certi certificate of occupancy um, uh, gets made. I have a question for our DBI team. Um, how does this change how we do our budgeting? How would this change, you know, does this, my under I understand that we kind of need all our money right now, <laughs> but um, I, I also understand and, you know, very much respect our role um, in, as an economic driver in our in the city and making our policies easy and um, and in line with what is needed in the economic kind of world can you talk or can you address this um, this change and how that might um, appear different uh, how that would impact our budget um, sorry WCD attorney Rob Kaplan I should clarify that these fees do not go or fund anything within DBI so it will not affect our budget. It's, it's collected by DBI and then passed through to other city funds. Okay, that was my understanding, but that I, I didn't see that here, so I thought maybe I had a misunderstanding of where that goes. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, then forget my question. Um, so the, can I, uh, can you tell me if my understanding is correct? So the housing impact fee is, will continue to be studied based on it, will, will continue to be based on the Nexus study, and in between Nexus studies, there will be a 2% escalation, but there will still be, perhaps in the future, another impact fee that ass assesses the true costs of what the impact fee is to, is to fund. Is that correct? Or can you correct me? Uh, interim President, that, that's generally correct. Um, every so often the city doesn't impact, I'm sorry, Nexus fee analysis to make sure that our fees are consistent with the, the impacts that development projects trigger or cause, um, should this legislation be adopted every year, the rates that are established today would continue to go up by 2%. So that the two things are operating in parallel. How often is the Nexus study done? Sorry. No, please. Uh, I probably should know that, Commissioner. I'm sorry. I'm, I, I think the number is between three and four years apart. I might defer to the Deputy City Attorney. We can look into that and get back to you, Commissioner. And just to clarify, these things would now be running in parallel. So whatever the Nexus study amounts are today, moving forward, it would be 2% every year, period, or 2% until that next Nexus study in four years, and then it would escalate from those. Uh, it might be easier to think about it in terms of the change that this ordinance would cause from the status quo. Right now, impact fees go up every year based on the AICCIE. And also, every three, four, five years, every increment of time, we perform a nexus study to make sure that our impact fees are, are trued up. What this ordinance would do is change out, swap out the AICCIE for this flat 2% number. Okay. I, I, hope that, I hope that answers your question. Yes, that clarifies. I had two questions. Um, one, I know that we said, or that you all said in the presentation that this would not affect affordable housing impact fees or inclusionary impact fees. But I am wondering, I'm, I'm sure it's a long list of other things that are um, impact fees, but if you could give a little bit of a, a idea of what might be impacted. And then second, um, I am hearing, so it sounds like while a project is in a pipeline, 
that's those are the projects that are the most impacted by the change in the impact fees. So I was wondering why the approach to this was to overall change the impact fee increase by 2% and not to change the, to um, solidify that for a project in the pipeline. So for example, if I applied last year and then over the course of my like five year like permitting or whatever process, um, it increased 2% and I knew that predictability over the course of the project versus every single project <laughs> having a 2% increase over no matter when you like submit your paperwork. So just wondering if you had some idea why that was chosen. Uh, Commissioner, both good questions. I might defer the second of your questions to, to Director Topier, but with respect to the first one, there, there, are, there are a number of impact fees the city collects. Um, we have a, I wanna say a four page director's bulletin that enumerates them, everything from a transportation impact fee to a childcare impact fee, park impact fees, um, uh, uh, I'm looking at our deputy city attorney because I'm drawing a blank. There was a time at which I could rattle these off like they were written on the I'm back sure of my hand. sure there are many. That's just, that's helpful. And it's there, there are many. That, that's correct, yeah. Thank you. And I think, I think if I understand your question correctly about the pipeline projects, as I mentioned when I um, first came up, there were two pieces of legislation introduced by the mayor and President Peskin on June 27th. The second piece of of legislation which does not uh, intersect with uh, the building department um, is the inclusionary housing legislation, which is um, takes a three-year look back at the production of affordable housing uh, and makes a determination on what is the right fee and, and requirements for our inclusionary housing. So that second piece of legislation is also moving through the process. Both of these pieces of legislation are expected to be heard at the Land Use Committee on Monday. That piece of legislation also um, uh, is looking to re reduce the inclusionary requirement and the impact fees, a proportional reduction in impact fees, uh, looking backward. And so those projects that have been approved that are in our pipeline will have the opportunity to come forward and, um, and seek a, a, an administrative approval, approval at the Planning Commission to take advantage of the three-year um, reduction in those fees. Um, yeah, but my question was, so it, every year it seems like the fees increase based on, based on the AICCIE. And the approach that this legislation is taking, if I'm understanding correctly, is that now every year it's going to be capped at a 2% increase. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And so I was wondering, I guess I was wondering why the approach is to do that for projects across the board versus like having kind of two pathways where if I submit one year, I know that my increase is going to be 2% on increase based on the fee that it was in the, the year that I submitted, like let's say 2019. And then if Commissioner Newman was to um, put in a permit for in 2020 and her fee, her initial impact fee is different based on the AICCIE and then getting a 2% increase on that. Is that just too complicated? Is that why that doesn't? Wait. May I? Yes, of it seems like if the goal is to create predictability, um, it could be done with one of these two things, either that 2% annual increase or fixing the rate at the time of permit. And so uh, I guess the question is why um, the need to cap the annual increase um, and also lock in your fee at the time of permit. Mm -hmm. I, it, it, is that what you yes. were trying to get Thank at? Thank you for helping. So again, I think that um, that 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 what we what we've 
encountered is that the, the AICCIE is really a program about the city's capital needs, the city's, you know, the city's building needs, um, and it is not established by Nexus. Um, it is basically a, you know, a determination made by uh, the Capital Planning Committee on an annual basis. And, and it's rightfully a very conservative approach so that the city is looking at projects that we may be building in 10, 15, 20 years and making sure we are um, capturing the, the appropriate um, costs and escalations over that time period that we will then probably issue a bond in order to pay for that program. So it's giving the city the understanding of what do we need for our programs. So the, 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 um, the impact fees are really on uh, private projects, building, housing, commercial in the city. And um, the, we need to, what we're hearing back from the, the building community is it's too unpredictable. It is, um, it's a significant impact to the bottom line of projects. And it is, um, it's difficult to finance that fee. So if you're, if you're looking to, uh, to seek institutional capital to fund your project, uh, the, the fee not being fixed um, and not being predictable has become one of the sort of factors that made, has made San Francisco uh, a challenging um, investment for institutional capital financing. And so what we're seeing is a lot fewer applications coming in to build our housing. We're seeing existing projects struggle um, to re retain their financing. I think we've certainly seen some of the impacts um, that the pandemic and uh, economic conditions have had on the city and certainly on the city's budget. And so what we're trying to, to we're trying to just create a very predictable path uh, and certainty once you've got your project approved. Just, just to add to that, if I can, and forgive me if this is too far in the weeds, but it's a very interesting question. And one of the things that I think might be relevant is that impact fee assessment lives in the planning code. <clears throat> One of the bureaucratic but nonetheless interesting distinctions between the building code and the planning code is that for the most part, the building code and, and building processes are based on when an application is submitted. That's unlike the planning code, when requirements and controls are based on when a project is approved. So it's just sort of a, a fundamental toggle between the two codes. I'm not suggesting that, that any one approach is better or worse than the other, just that that's, that's sort of a fundamental building block on each code that's, that's different. And if there were a, uh, an interest in looking at that, our sense is that it should be done holistically for, for the whole code and not for any one part of it. That's a helpful distinction, thank you. Any other questions or comments? Seeing none, we call public comment. So is there a motion? Sorry. <laughs> I'd like to make a motion to pass, and I'm gonna just read the file number, if I may, to accept um, file number 230764 um, for approval. Is there a second? Second. And I'll do a roll call vote. Uh, Interim President uh, uh, Alexander Toot? Yes. 
Commissioner Chavez? Yes. Commissioner Newman? Yes. Commissioner uh, Shaddix? Yes. Commissioner Sh uh, Summer? Yes. Commissioner Williams? Yes. Uh, the motion passes unanimously. Thank you. And we will move on to item seven. Is Commissioner Summer is raising her hand at all? I don't see her. <laughs> I don't know if she has that accessibility. I would be able to see her if I was facing the screen, but thank you for reminding me. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but she also has the ability to interrupt us. <laughs> okay, let me read item seven. Discussion regarding data on permitting times committed or continued from uh, June 20, the June 21st uh, BIC meeting. And the slides will come up in just a moment. There's like a delay, <laughs> sorry. Good morning, Commissioners. Interim President Toot, uh, Megan Walshui, Principal Data Analyst at DBI. Today I'm going to provide an overview of DBI's plan check performance measures. Oh. Also, uh, good morning, uh, Interim President Toot and Commissioners. Mark Walls, Chief Building Inspector, Plan Review Services, here to assist Megan in her presentation. Thank you. Uh, but before diving into the data, I want to highlight some of DBI's permit review improvement initiatives. In the past two years, we've opened electronic plan review for all in-house projects. We've created a new pre-plan uh, pre check station where plans are reviewed for completeness prior to filing. We have implemented dynamic tier-based project assignment where plans are assigned based on expected level of effort and staff availability. We've built a work-in-progress dashboard uh, that managers use to assign and track open reviews. We have issued site permit review criteria to make review more efficient. And we have added a new in-house plan, plan recheck station in the permit center so clients can work out issues with our staff in person rather than through email. We are also in the process of implementing an initiative called PTS 101 that will enable us to understand how long plans are with the customer for revision and how many review rounds it takes to be approved. Lastly, we are in beta testing for a new digital permitting form that will allow applicants to file in-house permits without coming into the permit center. But there is much more to come. We are working on reforming our site permit process with planning. We are developing pre-submission guidelines. We are creating a new customer service point of contact. Plan checkers will have checklists to make plan review more efficient and standardized. We are working with our partners to improve the G20. We are continuing to work towards getting 100% of in-house plans reviewed electronically. We are updating our G06 policy for expiration and cancellation and automating permit expiration and cancellation. We are working on new address assignment process. And lastly, we are developing staff and management reporting templates and guidelines. The results we are seeing uh, from these efforts are promising. For new plans that arrived at our building station, assignment times have dropped from seven weeks in January to four weeks in May, a 43% improvement. 
Similarly, the number of weeks it takes to get from arrival at the building station to comments issued for, or approval for new plans has dropped from nine weeks in January to five weeks in May, a 41% improvement. As I go over each of our performance measures, there are a few considerations I want to point out. One is that when permitting times are calculated as medians or averages, results will fluctuate until every plan in a given group has crossed the designated finish line, whether that be permit issuance, assignment, or review. The other is that certain months, particularly November and December, can skew some of our results because of challenges with staffing due to the holidays. DBI currently has two channels for permit review performance reporting. We have a number of metrics that we publish annually through the Controller's Office City Performance Program. But we've also recently developed some housing-specific metrics that we reported on as part of the Housing for All Executive Directive. I will go into these in the following slides. Our first metric is the percentage of over-the-counter permits that are issued in two business days or less. The OTC process enables most people to walk out with their permit on the same day if they have a complete and compliant application. We have extended our performance metric to two business days to account for people that may have just a few, few loose ends that need to be tied up the next day. Over the past fiscal year, we have met our target of 65%, five out of 12 months, and overall 57% of permits were issued in two business days or less. Our next metric is the percentage of plans that receive their first review in a timely fashion based on their tier or expected level of effort, <clears throat> which gives them between 20 to 40 business days to get their review. This is a new metric for this fiscal year, and we set an aggressive target of 85% based on the level of customer service we would like to provide. Currently, 31% of plans are meeting their target review time, but we are making progress. In the past five months, the time for first review for all new permits has gotten 41% faster. If we can get our assignment times down just a bit more, we should see a noticeable uptick in this measure. If we look at the same measure for projects that are flagged as priority, this is currently includes 100% affordable housing and ADUs. <clears throat> we are much closer with 70% of projects in the last fiscal year meeting their target review time. Our next metric is the percentage of pre-application meetings that are conducted within 14 days of request. With the exception of a disruption that happened during the fall and winter months, we generally meet this target. In the last fiscal year, 81% of meetings happened in 14 days. Our next metric is the percent of no plans over-the-counter permits that are issued instantly online. Currently, this option is only available for re-roofing and kitchen and bath remodels with a DBI-registered contractor. Our goal is to publicize and expand this process as much as possible, which is why we set a target of 15%. In the past fiscal year, the percent of building permits issued instantly online was 12%, which represents a two percentage point increase from the last fiscal year. Our next metric looks at instant online permitting for our trade permits. Given that we've had this process in place for our plumbing and electrical permits for more time, our perform performance currently hovers right around our target of 60%. In line with our efforts to measure digital advancements in our permitting process, we also track the percentage of in-house permits using electronic plan review. In fiscal year 2023, we exceeded our target of 65%, with 70% of in-house permits being filed with EPR. 
These next measures are related to the Housing for All initiative. Our first measure is the total issuance time for housing-related permits issued in a given year. For this measure, it is important to note that it includes time spent with all reviewing departments, as well as the customer. It is also a lagging indicator, meaning that it doesn't provide much information on business processes today, but rather speaks to the cumulative situation during the time between when it was filed and when it was issued. As you can see from the chart, COVID-19 was very disruptive, but we are starting to see the total issuance days drop, down from 476 in 2022 to 413 year-to-date 2023, a 13% reduction. This next measure looks at DBI's role in the issuance journey, which is currently around 50% of total issuance time, this, uh, which also includes time waiting for the customer to provide their revisions. When looking at the median number of days issued plans spent with DBI plan check stations during their issuance journey, we have seen a 5% reduction from full year 2022 to year-to-date 2023, down from 238 to 226 days. Our last measure is more short-term and looks at the percentage of new housing-related permits getting their first review in 30 business days or less after arrival. Again, COVID-19 was extremely disruptive, but we are seeing modest improvement. When comparing full year 2022 data with year-to-date 2023, there has been a 9% increase in the percentage of plans meeting this target. Thank you, and I'd be happy to take any questions. As well as Mark. If I may, just one fast question. Thank you for your presentation. Oh, yeah. Um, on the in-house plan recheck, um, I think that's a great uh, window, and it's, mm -hmm. uh, I'm really glad that's there. Do you know by numbers how many people have gone through that recheck, and then of the people that have gone through there, how many have been re, um, I don't want to say overturned or mm -hmm. fixed, if you will? Um, just curious. I don't have those numbers, but I'll defer to Mark. I, yeah. do you? Okay. I, I also do not have those numbers. Okay. Well, I do want to compliment you for having that window yeah. because I think it's we'll fantastic to have it. Okay. That's all I got. I have a few questions. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess starting with the it was slide 14 and 15, the median days to issue housing-related permits by issuance year. So mm -hmm. the... The target it was 50% a 50% reduction and it was 13% reduction when when was that target established and you know it understanding COVID is uh, challenging but um, do we know why uh, we're so far from the from the target yeah um, so the 50% reduction was specified in the executive directive um, this was not a target that DBI came up with um, and you know, it's certainly going to be a reach type of measure. We're doing our best. Um, the thing that is important to remember when it comes to issuance times is that many of these permits were actually first filed during um, 2020 or 2021. And another important sort of contextual piece of information is that 2019 was our biggest permit filing year, like since the Great Recession. So right when the pandemic hit, we had this huge bolus of permits that came in. And then now all of a sudden our business processes have been completely disrupted. None of our normal OTC processes, which are over the counter, really efficient. Um, and 90% of our total permits were actually happening that way. They were all now treated as in-house. And so we had this tremendous disruption. And so we're still sort of moving through that, um, 
like traffic jam basically, and the traffic jam was not just with our department. It's all it's also with all of the reviewing departments, and almost all um, housing related permits are reviewed by DBI planning, DPW, and PUC, and many as uh, by fire as well. So reviewed by several different departments, um, and uh, if I'm understanding correct, that uh, contributes to the uh, the length of the of the process. Is that right? Yeah, so I mean, the permits that are, we're using um, the the year issued because as I mentioned with the medians and the averages, if we were to say, tell us the speed of the permits filed in 2023, we don't yet know that information yet. So we have to look at basically what's coming out of the pipe. You can sort of think of it like students graduating from college. Um, so, you know, basically the things that are coming out now have all of that burden from what happened in the past. Okay. And that burden was shared by all of the reviewing departments. Okay. Um, this is a more uh, you know, general, uh, but general uh, question or uh, proposition, but I, uh, I see these figures and I, I, I imagine if you are a, like a new homeowner, you're wanting a permit to do some re reconstruction on your new dream home, dream home that you finally uh, saved enough to make the down payment for, and uh, it takes 300, 400 days to get the permit issued. That has to be uh, frustrating and expensive. Um, do the home, or, you know, do the customers, do the homeowners, do they have any recourse, uh, or are we receiving any feedback, or is the department of uh, is DBI receiving any feedback from these customers about this process? Because uh, that has to be demoralizing and tough and, and again expensive I, you know I'm, I've heard anecdotally that uh, that really drives up the cost uh, with the contractors and um, so what what can a customer do if they have an ex uh, a lengthy you know these are medium uh, median days so if they're beyond a year in uh, waiting for a permit to get, get issued what can they do to do something about it yeah um, I, I'll let Mark speak to this um. Uh, yes, Commissioner Williams. Um, the customer always has the ability to reach out to the plan reviewer and, and request an update on the status of their review and uh, what the current disposition is thereof. Uh, there are um, other availability or available options with regard to uh, going beyond that plan reviewer and uh, requesting uh, to speak with the supervisor of that person. And uh, the supervisors have all been... we've working diligently on uh, creating much shorter time frames and timelines for review. Uh, a lot of that does fall out of our hands in the sense of we'll issue plan review comments, the application will go into a holding pattern, and we're um, basically waiting for the design professional record or the designer to respond to said plan review comments. So a lot of wait times uh, incurred include that and that is a little bit out of our control mm -hmm. there have been some instances where we've even reached out to the design professional of record to see what the delay was or if there was anything we could do to help them help us but uh, as far as the homeowner uh, trying to get that permit more expeditiously uh, there you know we're, we're there for them but it we, we have boundaries and there's only so much we can do and I, I'd also like to mention that our PTS 101 process will now enable us to basically subtract out that design professional time 
preparing and submitting that response. So in the future, we'll be able to measure sort of city-only time. Um, Commissioner Slummer has her hand raised. Just one more thing, sorry about that. So we do now have our, our pre-plan review process that allows us a first look at these documents coming in. And that's been very beneficial because the 10 or 15 minutes that pre-plan review um, takes allows us to identify any major deficiencies or um, anything that may may require additional documentations. A prime example would be a, a site permit, which is primarily for entitlements uh, and a cursory review on our part. The construction drawings come later on, opposed to a full permit. We've had some applicants um, submit a full permit, yet they're lacking um, structural drawings or mechanical drawings, which are not normally associated with a site permit. And identifying these deficiencies up front allows the applicant to provide a complete package uh, uh, for the submittal, opposed to us getting, uh, accepting the application, waiting the you know, four to six weeks for a non-status project to get assigned to a plan checker, only to have the plan checker within the first five minutes identify that the submittal package was deficient. So this new process has um, greatly uh, accelerated the process for review. And being that it is a new process, we're going through and working out all the bugs and trying to make it better and better on a daily basis. So I see great things happening with uh, the reduction of uh, total times from application to issuance of the um, application that becomes a building permit. Uh, Commissioner Slummer had her hand raised. I'm not sure if she still wants to comment. I did. My question was just before you called on me, which was regarding the. Can you guys hear me okay? Yes. Yes, we can hear you. Um, which was regarding how to, if it was in process, that we are potentially subtracting out time that is um, being taken up by the, the side professionals getting back to DPI. Um, I know. Similarly, the pandemic has uh, a lot going on on the professional side, and sometimes things take a while to turn back around. Uh, and I think it's important to see what's shown on slide 15, which is the total time from permit application to issuance. But at some point, as mentioned, some of that is out of DBI's control, so it's good to capture both pieces of that. The, the total time, and also it was with DBI. Thank you. I have a few questions. Thank you for your presentation. Um, on uh, slide 11, uh, it's about the OTC no plans building permits that are processed online. And our target's 15% and our, uh, our current performance is 12. And I was wondering, is that 12 of all OTC no plans or is that just of 12% of the re-roofing and kitchen bathroom model um, permits? It's 12% of all OTC no plans. Okay, even though we only have two that are eligible. Yeah, so many of those are not eligible for mm -hmm. the process. So it's really um, intended to see, like, are there other areas of permits that we could add to that OTC instant online process, um, permitting? Okay, do we have an idea of how many of the re-roofing and kitchen and bathroom models are being approved? Um, I don't have that data right now, but I can find it. Yeah, it would be lovely to know how successful we're being um, in order to also be able to find new opportunities. Thank you for that. Um, and then my second question is, it, maybe it wasn't part of the executive order, but um, 
We have the 30-day business permit requirement as well. Um, do we know how we're performing on, on that metric? This, this is Prop H that you're referring yes. to? Yeah. Yes. Um, we are measuring that, um, and for that, because our OTC processing has used a different business process for quite a while where they will end their station, like put a finish date when the customer leaves, even if the plans were not approved, mm -hmm. we are able to subtract out the customer time because people may have to leave and then come back. Um, and so by and large, we are meeting that. I don't have the number off the top sure. of my head, but I'm sure it's well above like 80%. Okay, that's great to hear, thank you. And then um, uh, my final question is um, for the, I understand this came from an executive director um, directive. Has there been any talk about, you know, kind of, are, are they are these going to stay? Is there going to be a reassessment for the ones that we're meeting and we've met since, you know, the end of the fiscal year? Is there any, um, have you any, is there any discussion about reevaluating any of these goals? Um, we just did a sort of large scale revision last, uh, prior to this fiscal year's reporting. Um, I think, you know, given that we're now easily meeting our target of 65% for EPR, maybe it makes sense to, like, bump that up. So we have the opportunity prior, usually around February, to uh, change our performance benchmark for the next fiscal year. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, any other questions? No. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, was, was there public comment on item 7? Good afternoon, my name is Jerry Durantler. I have two comments. When I reviewed the controller's budget letter, I noticed some of the DBI reserve system funding has been eliminated. So my question is, are there adequate funds to continue the overdue permit review systems improvements? And my second question responds to a, a question a commissioner raised. Should there be an alternative plan review process conducted by an outside independent licensed professional to uh, expedite the backlog. Thank you. Any other public comment? None virtually. Uh, we'll move on to item eight, which is commissioner's questions and matters, 8A, inquiries to staff. At this time, commissioners may make inquiries to staff regarding various documents, policies, practices, and procedures which are of interest to the commission in 8B, future meetings and agendas. At this time, the commission may discuss and take action to set the date of a special meeting and or determine those items that could be placed on the agenda of the next meeting and other future meetings of the Building Inspection Commission. The next regular meeting is August 16, uh, 2023. Thank you. Um, if I may, and with the uh, President's two consideration for the, the next agenda um, for August or September, um, all of our commercial corridors are about to face a very serious um, deadline for ADA compliance. And um, <clears throat> it's going to have a tremendous effect on our outer uh, neighborhoods. And although, you know, DBI is kind of taking the role of the, the inspection and the compliance, I mean, this is a California or even federal um, uh, mandated um, ordinance. Um, 
I'd like to know if we're able to talk about that and see where we're at as far as the city of San Francisco, our commercial corridors, as far as the percentage of who, we don't have to know names and addresses, but you know the percentage of who's in compliance, who's not in compliance, and just some average um, you know, compliant costs um, that um, are happening. I, I can speak from experience that you know, just in this past week, I've seen a couple that have come up and they're 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 devastating financially, you know, to uh, the business owners. And um, so it, it'd be nice to kind of talk through that and just see what we can do through the Department of Building Inspection, either through the commission or the, you know, the staff itself and just see where we're at with the compliance. Um, thank you. The next one. Um, uh, I know that we've been putting off the secretary review, so I want to make sure that we um, we cover that and uh, committee assignments. We have a lot of vacant committees right now, or almost vacant committees. So um, making sure that we're able to fill our subcommittees, and then I'd like us to consider um, a motion to uh, create a housing code enforcement committee. There's been a lot of discussion about why is there still so many, so much housing that is out of compliance, um, and is there, you know, are there possible policy reforms or practices that we could um, adopt or explore to um, to bring our housing up to code uh, in all of San Francisco? And so those are my items I'd like to put on the future agenda. Any other questions? Go ahead. I just had one. We spoke yesterday during our tour about um, getting an update on the reforms package um, and a uh, review of what that included and where we are at on making progress on that. Any other questions, comments, uh, agenda items, suggestions? As Sonia would say, you can email us after the meeting, um, <laughs> and we'll be able to prepare that for you guys. Um, is there? Uh, so I uh, sorry, I mm -hmm. came in late. Uh, so uh, at least for a future agenda item, and maybe this is related to the house, the housing code enforcement subcommittee. If we create one of those, uh, considering uh, the last meeting and uh, the budget situation, uh, the SRO collaborative funding uh, that. I don't know if, uh, how certain we are that that's going to exist. Uh, so uh, perhaps we should put something on the uh, an agenda item specifically related to addressing uh, what we can do with our SRO community and even our shelter community uh, and enforcing uh, code there because uh, uh, yeah, there's some uncertainty. It seems like there's uncertainty with whether our current uh, mechanisms for reaching out uh, for outreach to that community whether that's going we're gonna have the support to keep that going so I think as uh, as the Commission here we should start making plans for uh, protecting that or uh, making some sort of alternative uh, solution uh, for them so okay are there any other uh, questions comments suggestions and no public comment in-house or virtual. Oh, okay, thank you. Sorry. Good afternoon again. Uh, Juan Garcia with the SRO Families United Collaborative. Uh, 
I would like to uh, support uh, Commissioner Williams' idea of having more information about the CL program and the collaboratives and all the work we do. Uh, and I just really want to come up here and uh, as a, just give a reminder uh, that our housing inspection services and our CL program are a model, not just for the city, not just for the Bay Area, but for the state, maybe even the country. If you've seen some reports out of other cities, major cities like New York City, some of the issues that they're having with their housing inspections, with their housing violations, you know, how can we be a better model? How can we show them that we are protecting the tenants and the buildings, but not uh, prioritizing these big developers over affordable housing or the housing stock that we currently have? How do we keep people housed? making sure that their homes are safe and habitable. So again, we are a model. What can we do to show the rest of the state, the rest of the country? Thank you. Thank you. Is there any other in-house public comment on item eight? Thank you. We'll go on to item nine. Uh, review and approval of the minutes of the Special Joint City Planning Commission and Building Inspection Commission meeting of May 11th, 2023, continued from the June 21st, 2023 meeting. Is there a, a motion to approve or? Motion to approve. Motion to approve. Oh, thank motion you. Motion to approve. Summer. Is oh, there a second? A second, sorry. Shattuck's. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. Those minutes are approved. Uh, is there a public comment on item nine? Seeing none, we'll go on to item 10, review and approval of the minutes of the regular meeting of May 17, 2023. Is there a motion to approve? Is it? Are we able to take 10, 11, 12 together? <laughs> Up to the attorney. The attorney. Should I, can Any I call problem? 10, 11, and 12 at the same time? Or do they uh, have to Deputy have City Attorney Rob Kaplan, you can, but if someone has edits, they can also pull one out. For sure. It. Okay. So I'll call uh, items 10, 11, and 12, review. Um, and, oh. Sorry. Go ahead. Quick, uh, quick uh, process question. So uh, for me and uh, those of us who weren't uh, commissioners at those uh Hearing uh, at those meetings, I, I, we have to abstain, right? We can't approve minutes, or do we? Can we approve minutes for meetings that we? Uh, Deputy City Attorney Rob Kaplan, yes, you, you can approve minutes uh, for meetings that you did not attend. And actually, I should remind everyone you can't abstain from any votes while on the uh, commission. Yeah, I'm sorry, excuse me. You can recuse yourself, <laughs> <laughs> and you should when necessary. Okay, correct. Thank you. Item 10, review and approval of the minutes of the regular meetings of May 17, 2023. Item 11, for the special meeting of June 13, 2023. And item 12, the regular meeting minutes of uh, June 21st, 2023. One motion to approve items number 10, 11, and 12. Second. Uh, so the uh, motion to approve by two, second by Williams for items 10, 11, and 12. Were there any uh, comments? Is there any public comment in-house, virtual? No, seeing none. 
Moving on to item, I'm sorry, all in favor? Aye. 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 Moving on to item 13, thank you. Adjournment, is there a motion to adjourn? I moved. Is there a second? Second. Okay, uh, thank you, all in favor. <laughs> and we are adjourned, it's 1122, thank you. TV. San Francisco Government Television.